So Matthew 21, and I'm going to read verses 1, 1 to 11. As they approached Jerusalem, and so the day here is, is Jesus, the 12 disciples, and a whole crowd that have just gathered around him as they've just recognized who he is. They've recognized who this man is. They've, they've, they've seen glimpses. This is the Messiah that they've been waiting for. And so most of Jesus' ministry has, has been in and around this, the, the Galilee area. And so they've began this pilgrimage south towards Jerusalem. And, uh, and so that is the day here. Jesus, the disciples, and the crowd that have gathered around him and what's been going on. They came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her coat by her, her baby donkey. Until they untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell them that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, this is, this is quoting from Zechariah, Say to the daughter of Zion, Say your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Verse 6, the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. And a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of them and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Matthew is quoted from the prophet Zechariah, and I'd love us just to uh, just to flick back a few pages, well, a few pages in your Bible, a few centuries in history, um, and uh, Zechariah chapter nine, verses nine and ten, is what Matthew is referring to, and let me read it for us. Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion! Shout, daughter of Jerusalem! See your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And I just want to read the next verse as well. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations, and his rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Josh, you put up the picture of the man and the horse. You can't see it all. Anybody know who this is? Andrew Gribben got it first time. It's Alexander the Great. 
Uh, so I'm, uh, I'm going to ask you now, bear with me, This maybe if, at the risk of this feeling like a history lesson, I think it's interesting and I think it's important what we're going to share today. Alexander the Great, and so I've read from Zechariah, read from the prophet Zechariah. This is Alexander the Great on his war horse, Bucephalus. Bucephalus was that famous of a horse that even he, whenever you go into Wikipedia, you'll see the date of his birth and the date of his death. He was that famous of a horse, died when he was 29 or something like that. Anyway, this is Alexander the Great and Bucephalus. And by the age of 32, um, Alexander the Great had conquered from Greece to India. He was, con he was conquering the world through war. He was conquering the world. And at the same time, Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah, gives us a different vision of a different king. And so what's going on in history? Alexander the Great on his horse, on his war horse, riding with the horsemen and the foot soldiers and conquering through war, through fear, through intimidation. And the Zechariah at the same time presents a different vision of a different king. And Israel's king, the one that he prophesies, Israel's king will come with be gentle, patient, and humble. Israel's king will come with humility, will come with, ge with gentleness, will come with kindness, will come bringing a message of peace. And so what we're, what we're witnessing back in, back in Zechariah's day, back in Alexander the Great's day, is something similar to what is going on here in the story that we've just read um, on what took place in this Palm Sunday. I'm convinced that what Jesus was doing was deliberate and intentional. He was deliberately and intentionally fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah. There's a map there, Joshy. Do you want to put that up for me? Not only a bit of a history lesson, but a bit of a geography lesson. Yeah? So... So we're back, we're back. That, was, that was to let you know the, the, what was going on at the time of Zechariah. And let's come back to this story, to, to the story that we've read in Matthew 21. This is what, this is what the ancient world looked like. Um, and so you'll see just off the screen up at the top is Galilee and Nazareth, and where Jesus was born, where most of his ministry took place. Um, you'll maybe see some names that you're familiar with, Samaria. All of that took place in this part of the world. Um, but this land, this, this land of that, that at, one, at one stage had belonged to the people of God was now occupied by Roman power. Foreign power had come and invaded. The Romans were, had now overtaken, had now were, in, were in power, were in control of this part of the world. And so this is where Jesus was. This is where his ministry was taking place. And at the time of Jesus, the Roman governor, the head of this Roman empire, this foreign power that had taken over, that was dominating the people and the children of God, he was living in Caesarea here, over on the coast. And if, again, if you wanted to go, if you wanted, to, if you wanted an, even an, 
archaeological lesson, you'll not get it from me, but there has been parts of uh, Pontius Pilate's um, house found uh, in this part of the world in Caesarea. Caesarea, the Roman governor at the time, was Pontius Pilate. You may be familiar with that name. Um, lived in Caesarea. And so I put this up to show you that uh, where the two um, where the two crowds on this day were coming from. So the Roman governor at the time, Pontius Pilate, lived to the west in Caesarea. And so what was going on in this time, and we will become familiar with as we pilgrimage through this during the week, everybody is beginning to arrive in Jerusalem for the, the Passover festival, this annual celebration. Um, that, that every year the Jewish people came together to remember and to celebrate. It was, like an, it was like an annual holiday. They came together to celebrate how God had delivered his people from Egypt. And so the people had begun to arrive. The people had begun to gather into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And so in Jerusalem, the numbers would have been around 40,000 people in this in this town down here at the bottom. But at Passover, as everybody arrived, everybody came to celebrate, everybody came to have this annual celebration of how God had delivered them from Egypt, and the numbers would swell, they reckon, to about 200,000. 200,000 people in, in, a, in a city, in an area of what was normally 40,000 people. And if there was ever going to be a revolt, if there was ever going to be a, an attempt to try and take back their land, to try and take over, to try and get rid of that dominant power that had, that, had, um, that had come in and destroyed and manipulated and intimidated, it was then. It was whenever there was so many of them gathered. That is when they could, and actually there is records of many did, many revolts t did take place. An attempt to take action against these rulers an attempt to take action against this empire that had taken over and dominated. And so as governor, as governor of this part of the world, as governor of this empire, Pontius Pilate would have been sure to have made his way into the town around this Passover festival. And so he travels in, he travels in from the west, he travels in from the west in, so that he can keep order. And so again, they reckon that he, that he came with at least 600. He led the way on his war horse, 600 horsemen and thousands, they don't even know how many, but thousands of foot soldiers would have came along with him. And so here we have this image of, uh, of Pontius Pilate leaving from his home, from the west, 600 horsemen, thousands of foot soldiers in order to keep order in this city at the time of Passover. It was this show of force. It was sending this message, you're, you're not, you have no power here, you have no control here, you're not going to fight, don't even try it. And so you have that taking place from the west. And so if, the, if you remember the map, Jesus makes his way from Jerusalem. And he stops off, we know that he stops off in, in Jericho. In, we read about it in Mark 10. 
um, stops off in Jericho and makes his way to Jerusalem. So we have this one crowd making their way in from the west. We have, this, we have Jesus and his, his 12 disciples and the crowd of, his crowd of followers making their way in from the east. And just this image, I just had this image in my head all week of the two contrasting parades that are on display here, making their way into Jerusalem at this time of Passover. This crowd making their way, armed, leading out with on the war horse, their governor on their war horse, their king on their war horse, followed by men, armed with swords. And then we have Jesus. Jesus on a baby donkey, riding in with a crowd armed with palm branches. Like, could you imagine a, a more contrasting image than this? And so again, I'm convinced that Jesus intentionally, he deliberately fulfills Zachariah's prophecy. And we, we read what the people are shouting. This crowd overwhelmed with the, the person of Jesus and they celebrate the Prince of Peace. And I don't know about you, and I, want to, I almost feel like I want to defend this crowd for a moment. This crowd of experience, they've traveled. Like it's been about a week travel they've made from Galilee right down with Jesus to Jerusalem. That's a lot of walking. That's a lot of miles. You'd be pretty sure that this man is who he says he is. You're going to walk and follow him over, over a difficult trek for day after day. And this crowd that had led the palm branches before him, sometimes you've heard it preached, and I think I've preached it, that this crowd on one day, on one week, they were celebrating him, they were rejoicing in who he was, and the next week, they were shouting, crucify him. I want to suggest to you, and I'm pretty convinced that it's not the same crowd. Um, again, we can, like, let's, let's have a conversation about this. But, and that's why I read Matthew's account. Because Matthew, Matthew has has here, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred, but the people within Jerusalem did not know who Jesus was. They were caught up by all that was going on, but they still had to ask, who is this? So much of Jesus' ministry had taken place in Galilee. Days walk away, days and days away, and, and maybe just the, the message, maybe it just hadn't filtered down yet. So many were asking, who, like, who is this? People were telling them. The crowd that had caught who he was were the ones that were saying he's, he's Jesus. He's the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And I just want to, I, I just want to spend the last couple of minutes here just reflecting on these two, these two parades. There is the one parade, there is the one march that is... Uh, that is showing, that is demonstrating the power of empire. Is showing the power of fear. Dominating through fear. And we have this other crowd that is announcing the arrival of a different kingdom. I suppose just over the, over the last couple of days, that's just been the question in my mind. In some ways, we can answer the question really quickly because it's obvious which, which parade are you going to march in. You're going to march in the one of empire. 
You're going to march in the one that is armed with swords. You're going to march in the one armed with palm branches. You're going to march in the one that, uh, that is the one of empire that trusts in war, that trusts in our own ability, that trusts in our own strength. Are we going to trust in and celebrate the Prince of Peace and trust God to heal the world rather than the, the weapons of this world being used to shape it? Will we trust in God? Will we trust in the Prince of Peace in order to heal the world? And so my simple challenge today is, will we follow in the same manner? Will we follow in the same manner? Who almost took, was so willing to take this position of vulnerability. Like, how must that have looked? The images that people had, they'd been told, and maybe that's why the crowd were so worked up. Maybe that's why the crowd began to turn on Jesus. Because they'd been waiting, they'd been waiting centuries. They had been waiting a thousand years almost for, for this promised Messiah. And so they've seen displays of strength. They've seen these displays of power through, through kings, kings and kings throughout the century. They had a, an idea what, what Jesus coming in, what the Messiah would look like. We still see the, the disciples struggling with it, even in the book of Acts. Jesus, is this the time that you're going to restore Israel? Is this the time you're going to give us back all that we've lost? When is it you're going to take control and take over and, and dominate? And Jesus is just showing a completely different way. Right back from Zechariah, he's been trying to reveal that this is a different vision of a different kind of king. And I know it seems obvious that maybe you, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to be the one following in the march of empire and power and sword. But I want to ask, like, really ask yourself, are you willing to follow in the same manner, take on that position of humility and gentleness and bring a message of peace? Be vulnerable and kind and peaceable. Put up that, that quote, Joshua, will you, if you can? This Andrew of Crete. He's an 8th century martyr. I was just struck by, by what he said. And there we have Jesus, an image of Jesus on a, on a baby donkey. And this is what he said. You may not be able to read it from there, but let us spread... Before his feet, not garments or soulless olive branches which delight the eye for a few hours and then wither, but ourselves. Let's spread before his feet ourselves, clothed in his grace, or rather, clothed completely in him. We must ourselves be the garments that we spread before him. Let us prostrate before Christ by being humble and by trying to live as he would wish. And let me take you to Romans 12, 
as I finish and Paul's going to come and and, uh, and sing one last song. But in light of this, in light of this quote, in light of this challenge to, to celebrate the Prince of Peace and trust in him, trust in God to heal the world, to follow in the same manner of humility and gentleness and kindness. Chapter 12 of Romans. Uh, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. And so in the same way, to lay down our garments before him. To lay down our, our garments before him as an act of sacrifice and surrender that is holy and pleasing to God. It is your, our spiritual act of worship. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. And the pattern of this world was what was, what was shown by, by empire, was shown by Pontius Pilate, was shown by this other parade. Don't conform to that, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And in some ways, all I wanted to do this morning is to tr just to continue to contrast the, the deep, the depth of the contrast between Jesus coming from the east and the other crowd coming from the west. And this truly is a different vision of a different king. It's a, it's a, it's a vision of a different kingdom that we are called to, to bring to earth, called to pray to earth. And, um, and so suppose today is, is about starting off this pilgrimage that is going to bring us through this week towards even the Four Cups on Friday, towards the, the darkness and the pain and the silence of Easter Saturday, but then we rejoice and we celebrate next, next Sunday. But I think there's some things that we, that we need to learn, there's some things we need to wrestle with before we get to that, to that place next Sunday. And hopefully we'll be able to do that throughout the week. Um, so thanks, Paul.